0: You have disturbed the dirt. All right, welcome everyone to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I am your Chris. I am your Chris, host.
1: <laughs> you want to start it. that over? Throw it in.
0: Keep it. All right. I am your host, Chris, and as always, I'm. Joined by my friend Joe, say hi, Joe. Hey, everybody! And for those of you that are new listening, uh, Magic the Gathering is a is a uh, podcast that's geared towards all players of Magic, new and old, where we take a deeper look at mechanics, abilities, um, of the wonderful game of Magic the Gathering. This episode, we will be talking about Disturb. Uh, it came out in the Innistrad Midnight Hunt set that was just recently released at the time of this recording. But before we get into all of that, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to tell us what deck you're building, feel free to email us at mtgunderthehood at com. Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash mtgunderthehood, and you can find us on Twitter, Using the handle at MTG Under the Hood.
1: So, Joe, have you been working on anything new recently? Well, I'm always working on something new, but this week, instead of talking about the new materials that I'm building, I would rather talk about how I finally got to test out a deck that I we discussed many, many episodes ago. Uh, I had told about a an exalted deck. They used the Exalted mechanic in the Bant colors, and I had originally built it as a modern format deck, something that we could use when, when our, our LGS decided to have a modern night for FNM. And even though I didn't get to actually play it in a modern tournament, I got to play it in a legacy tournament. But hey, all the cards were legal, so whatever. I figured, why not? Let's give it a shot. So I played it. It went off about as well as I would expect it. I knew it was a middle of the road deck. It was not built with the idea that uh, you know I would I would finish in top tier. I didn't spend that kind of money, but I did invest enough that I thought it would it would do well enough, and it ended up doing well enough. I mean, I placed in the top fifty percent, and I did have a couple comments about people who said that. You know, oh, man, how's it how's it going playing against his deck? He's like, man, Exalted is just terrible to play against. <laughs> man, it just runs so fast. How am I supposed to keep up with this and the amount of damage that he's doing? Plus, a couple times, I did get to drop the Blighted Agent, which is a, a one generic, one blue uh, for a creature that is a 1-1 one, one with Infect and Unblockable. And that got a lot of attention real quick once people knew I was playing Infect in my deck. And not at all sorry. <laughs> nope. it, it's a good alternate win con. It is. It's, an absolute, it's a great alternate win con. I mean, I only have a couple of them in the deck.
0: Plus, it also takes heat away from your other creatures. Exactly. Where it makes it to where they're laser focused on that rather than what's happening
1: over to the side. Well, and essentially, what the one point I did bring up, I said, you know, you can either let the, the Blighted Agent through because, I mean, it does cost me a little bit more, it costs 2 instead of 1, and I have Triton Shorestalker in there too, which is 1-1 unblockable, but no Infect. Alright, and it only costs 1 blue. So, I can drop the Blighted Agent, and all of a sudden, now everyone's hyper-focused on that, you know, the opponent says, crap, if I don't get rid of this, I'm going to lose in half the amount of time, especially with Exalted, if I stop dropping Exalted Creatures plus the Cathedral of War... I could easily swing for five without any difficulty. Mm. And there's five infect damage. You're already at half the number of poison counters you need uh, to lose the game. And so it forces them to use a removal spell on the Blighted Agent. If nothing else, that Blighted Agent becomes a lightning rod getting rid of one of their removal spells. At best, I get through a bunch of infect damage. At worst, I get rid of one of their removal because they have to use it on that creature. And then I don't lose any exalted triggers at the same time. But it, it went over really well, and that was actually a great event because you were there too, and we ended up going for the the finals. You and I, we went. You, know, you were placed one, I was placed two, going into the last event. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out as well for me. You know, you were playing Mono Red Burn, and you just annihilated my tiny creatures without any difficulty. Well, it wasn't really <laughs> it,
0: it wasn't really a burn deck. It was more of a like. It was more aggro than burn. It, it did. It did have a lot of aggro. You're right. But it was a lot of incidental triggers off of the uh, the small little guys. It, yeah. I had a and stuff like right stuff like that, and I just
1: Want enough opportunities for removal and everything. You yep. were able to burn away my smaller creatures oh. when they were small before you know they had the exalted trigger and everything. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think so. I think we went two zero. Uh, I think you, I you ended yeah, up went in two zero. Yeah.
0: Went in two zero, and our game is actually the first time that I had to sideboard the entire night. Really? Yep. And I sideboarded in
1: Burn. Well, and it I'm was bur- the same way. Your, our game was the first game I had sideboarded the entire night, and I had sideboarded in cards to um, take care of Torbrin, because it was the only <laughs> thing I could deal with. Yeah. You know, was to get rid of... And I, uh, the Simic Charms would have provided hexproof if I really, really needed it, but I didn't draw any of them. But that was the only thing that I sideboarded in. Otherwise... I was just playing the deck as is, and it was doing a nice job. The only issues I ran into are when uh, <laughs> there was one game I kept a hand, and I knew it going into. It. I was like, I really shouldn't keep this hand, but I'm I don't want to be down a card when my opponent. I knew my opponent was keeping his hand because he was on the play, and I didn't want to I didn't want to be down a card in an aggro deck, so I decided to keep it because I'm like, I'll probably get a planes. Probably get the, the color mana that I need. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. It did not go well. Uh, and I ended up having to discard a couple cards. It was, it was bad. It, and I knew from the moment I had to discard a card, I'm like, that's it. I lost this game. I, I kept playing just because I wanted to play it out in hopes. It came back okay, but uh, at the end of it, the, the other one, I got two lands, and somehow I ended up winning that one. That was miserable. But when you're playing with two lands and trying to keep your board alive and everything, it was miserable. But anyway, enough about that game. We're not here to talk about the tournament that you and I played in. We're here to talk about uh, the new decks that we're working on. Anyway, I finally got to try it out. It worked really well. I'm really uh, really pleased with it, and I will definitely be using it in more tournaments, expecting to finish middle of the road exactly the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) Chris, what are you working on?
0: Uh, What have I been working on? Uh, Relaxing and still working my way through a Pokemon Ruby Nuzlocke. Oh, hold on now.
1: Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) If I remember correctly, before that tournament, we were playing some tiny leaders, and you have a couple tiny leaders decks that you've been brewing. So why don't you tell us about that? Alright, fine. So, I.
0: So, we recently playtested after the last episode uh, my Brewvac one. That one was fun. That's a Mono Blue Mill tiny leader, and it's absolutely. Brutal. It was brutal. I did not stand a chance. <laughs> I mean when you played Bruvac turn three and then you play a fraying sanity
1: and mill for twenty-eight. And let's keep in mind, Bruvac, for those of you that don't know, Bruvac the Grandiloquent, whenever you mill a card, the opponent basically mills twice that many cards. So it, it is rather potent for whoever's on the receiving end of a mill spell. And I just put the finishing touches
0: on, and we'll be playtesting after this episode. Uh, Loris of the Dream Den, it's, it started out as just kind of like somewhat of small graveyard shenanigans. But then I realized that it slowly turned into Night Tribal. And then I found a, saw a card and was like, okay, you fit the theme perfectly, and it's the Breathless Knight. So that right. he mm-hmm. gets buffed if a creature comes out of the, uh, is played from the graveyard Yeah. So Laura plays well into that. So I'm like, all right, you, you're gonna be home. Let's see what else I can do. Then it turned into Night Tribal, and then I went, yeah, you look pretty decent. Don't know about the mana base,
1: but you, you know, it's gonna be fun. It's all playtesting is the point of it. So we'll see how things go. We'll see it. We'll see how it goes later tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Our words to live by for this week. No great transition or anything like that. Let's just go on to the next section. Yeah. Our words to live by. They actually feature with Disturb this week. We have bin and the yard. (laughs) Bin is actually a verb, and in magic slang, it means to put a card, usually a permanent card already on the battlefield, into the graveyard. And the yard, Chris? Is is a milkshake involved?
0: (laughs) No, not today, Chris. (laughs) Well, the yard is another slang term, and it is slang for the graveyard. So instead of saying graveyard, you can just say the yard means the same thing. So now let's get on to the show focus of Disturb. I really wish we could play some Disturb right now.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, licensing. Oh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, so for its history, it de- it debuted in the Midnight Hunt expansion of uh, Anistrad September 2021. Um, it has a lot of relations to, um, flashback and an earth and a couple of others that pretty much all the ones that you can bring stuff back from the graveyard, very similar to all of those, um, we'll focus on flashback and, and unearth because those two are very similar to disturb, um, flashback. You want to take that one, Joe? Sure.
1: Uh, flashback was actually, it was an ability that was debuted when I was originally playing the game, uh, And so it was really cool. Flashback is basically the ability to play an instant or a sorcery card from your graveyard. So you would cast the spell initially or discard the spell initially and it would end up in your graveyard. And then there is an alternate casting cost in there where you can actually play the spell and then it gets exiled once you have played the spell. Very similar to what we have with Disturb. Where disturb enables you to play a creature for the disturb cost from your graveyard, put it back into play, and then when you're done or when the creature dies, it doesn't go to the graveyard; it gets exiled. Um, unearth was very similar, and it had a lot to do with creatures. So, Chris, take care of unearth. All right, and unearth is um
0: is a alternate uh, casting cost, but it has to be done from the graveyard. Uh, so you'll pay the unearth cost, it'll come into play, and that creature will gain haste, but it has to be, I think it's sacrificed or exiled at the end of turn, so it only gonna, it's only going to be around for one turn, but you pay for its unearth cost, you can only do it as a sorcery, at sorcery speed, um, it comes back to the battlefield, uh, it gains haste, and then it's exiled at the end of turn, or if it would die.
1: You know, it's interesting that unearth says you can only cast it as a sorcery because I'm looking at a bunch of unearth cards here. They're only creatures anyway, (coughs) so (laughs) I guess they had to put that into the reminder text to remind people: hey, you can only cast unearth cards as a uh, you know at the same. You have to follow timing restrictions. Is Mm -hmm. what it is. You know, you, you have to follow timing restrictions on your creature cards. So interesting. Anyway. But that gives you some brief history on what's going on with Disturb. Um, We like to honestly think of it colloquially as flashback for creatures. So let's talk about the rules real quick. The rules for Disturb can be found under section 702, as always, for all of our keyword abilities. And this one happens to be 702.146. So rule 702.146A. Disturb is an ability found on the front face of some transforming double-faced cards. Disturb cost means you may cast this card transformed from your graveyard by paying cost rather than its mana cost. 702.146B, a resolving transforming double-faced spell that was cast using its disturb ability enters the battlefield with its back face up. Now again... We start talking about this, and and basically, the way you got to think about it is if you're looking at a, a card in your graveyard that has Disturb, you're going to pay the Disturb cost on the front face, and then you're putting the back face onto the battlefield, you know? And and that's really about all that goes into it. And that's really one of the primary differences between disturb and unearth as well. Aside from the whole exiling and end of turn, you are actually ca- you're, you're casting the disturb cost, but you're actually putting a different creature onto the battlefield. It's not the front face; it's the back face. Um, so yeah, so that's basically the rules about disturb. It's not overly complex. It's really rather simple. All right, let's look at some featured cards that feature our mechanic disturbed. <laughs> Sorry. All right, I'll start it off with devoted
0: graft keeper. For a white and a blue. it's a two- one creature, human peasant. Uh, when devoted graft keeper graft keeper uh, enters the battlefield, mill two cards. When you cast a spell from your graveyard, Tap target creature you don't control, and its disturb cost is one white, is one generic, a white and a blue. And whenever it disturbs, disturbs onto the
1: battlefield. I don't think there has been a verb form of that yet. All so right, so, you so you it's get to dis- take your pick.
0: Yay! So <laughs> when it disturbs onto the battlefield, <laughs> um, it enters as Departed Soulkeeper, which is a creature, spirit, three one, with flying. And can only block creatures with flying, and if it would, and it has the disturb dying clause on it of, if it would be put into the graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Th- that last little line is going to be on the backside
1: of all of these cards. Yeah. And it, it's basically, like like we said, that's what makes it flashback for creatures. You yes. know, when you flashback a spell, an instant or sorcery, it gets exiled once you've, you've actually cast the spell, that's how we, ex- that's how it's related to flashback. You exile the creature, so you're not able to just continually recur it from the graveyard, kind of deal. Uh, Devoted Keeper has actually done some pretty good work in the limited format, uh, because of the ability to mill cards, and especially with Innistrad being a graveyard-focused deck, but outside of that, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's okay, don't get me wrong, it's a 3-1 flyer, which has some benefits to it, but Outside of that, not too much. The next card we're going to discuss is Malevolent Hermit. This is a 2-1 Human Wizard for one generic and a blue. It has the activated ability, one blue, Sacrifice Malevolent Hermit. Counter-target non-creature spell, unless its controller pays three. And then you can Disturb the creature for two generic and a blue. On its back face, we get the Benevolent Geist, a 2-2 spirit wizard with flying, and it has the abilities non-creature spells you control can't be countered, and, of course, the exile clause on disturbed creatures. This is one of the cards that's actually seeing a lot of play in Standard, and we'll probably see some play outside of Standard, but not for its back face. (laughs) For its front face, just like Siren Stormcaller, where
0: it will be, yeah, it, it's most likely its home is going to be in Mono Blue Tempo, yeah, just so that they can continue their control of the tempo of the game by being able to counter non-creature right. spells. So it's spell Pierce on a body.
1: Now, to be fair, I have seen this show up in Azorius decklist, mm-hmm. and is it decklist? Is it Spell Slinger? I mean, if it runs blue, it can run that, right? But this gives you, in in the uh, not so much the Azorius, but in, especially in the Is it spell slinger decks, not only is the front face useful, but the back face is useful as well. Granted, the back face is kind of situational. So yes, if you were running an Is it spell slinger deck up against an Azorius control deck, the back face would be wonderful, making it so your spells can't be countered. All your spells, that your, your, your spell sling, your instant, your sorceries, that would be great. But most of the time, you're really just running it for the front face to counter that instant or sorcery that's going to cause you a lot of problems, and you know your opponent basically tapped out to play it. So, yeah. But again, this one is one that's becoming very popular, as is our next card. Which is Chaplain of Alms.
0: He's a human cleric, 1-1, one, one, and... Only costs one white mana. He has first strike, ward one, and his disturb cost is three generic and a white. Now it's the backside of him that is where it's really nice because he disturbs as a chapel shield geist, a, a spirit cleric, two one, flying, first strike, and has. Each creature you control has ward one, and it also has the disturb exile clause. Now, where this one really comes in handy is whenever it's on the field, it only protects its. It only kind of protects itself. But whenever as its front face, it, as its front face. But right. when it comes back, as the shield geist, it adds a layer of protection to every. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it even says each creature you control.
1: So that includes itself. Absolutely. This this card has shown up a lot in mono-white aggro, Celestia aggro. Um, I would imagine that if there is a Boros aggro deck out there, which I'm sure there will be at some point. All right. Well, it's either going to be Boros or Lorehold, so right. depending
0: <laughs> on what flavor you're running. <laughs> exactly. But because it's a spirit, I'm so, I'm. it's probably going to be
1: Lorehold. Right. Just because there was a lot oh, of spirit true. support. That's true. Um, So we may actually see a Lorehold deck come about from this. Um, There isn't one yet, but you never know. There might be. That's a good point. Question for you, Judge. Yes. Does the ward cost stack?
0: If you have multiple instances, if you have like two of these, does the ward cost then become two? Yes.
1: Because each creature has two instances of ward one. So you have to pay the first ward cost, then you have to pay the second ward cost. So, uh, yes, if you have two Chapel Shield Geists out on the battlefield, each creature has Ward 1 and Ward 1. They are not redundant. So, yes, you will end up having to pay 2. However, keep in mind, <laughs> it's not Ward 2. It's Ward 1 and Ward 1. So you have to pay, yes, cumulative 2, but... You have to it, pay each of separately. You have to pay each one, each one separately. Yeah, in order to get past Ward 1 two times. So, yeah. Uh, they they do stack with each other. They are not redundant. That is correct. Ooh, that's beautiful. Yes, it is. Uh, and the... one of the reasons, again, Chapel Shield Geist has become rather popular. And hey, what's our next one on the list? Our next uh, disturbed creature is Lunark Veteran. This one has very narrow uses, but it is still there. The Lunarch Veteran is a 1-1 Human Cleric for 1 white, and it has whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain 1 life, and you can disturb the creature for 1 generic and a white. Its back face is Luminous Phantom, a 1-1 Spirit Cleric with flying. Another: Whenever another creature you control leaves the battlefield, you gain 1 life, and then, of course, the disturb Exile clause. Uh, this creature, it really doesn't have a home outside of aristocrats. Or Celesnia nice. tokens. Celesnia tokens to an extent. I, I mean, if, if you I really mean, have tokens that are being I overly mean,
0: aggressive. I mean, front face at least for... Oh, yeah, front face by far. Yeah, you the know? front for Celesnia tokens, yeah.
1: or but the back for more aristocrat stuff. More aristocrat style. So, yeah. It, it, it's a very narrow card. I have seen it used a lot in Limited as well, especially that front face. But again, it's it's not like it's a huge card. And when I'm looking at the uh, standard deck list, you're not seeing the Lunark Veteran show up a lot, uh, at least nowhere near as much as like the Malevolent, uh, the Malevolent, what was it called? Hermit and the, the Chaplain of Alms. You, know, you see those two showing up a lot. You don't see the Lunark veteran as much, but it is still there. It probably has some good uses, but we'll see what happens. All right. And our last featured card is going to be Dinick, a pious apprentice.
0: He's a legendary creature, human soldier for one, for sorry, for a white and a blue with power and toughness of two three with life link. Uh, cards and graveyards can't be the target of spells or abilities, and his disturb cost is too generic, a white, and a blue. Whenever he disturbs onto the battlefield, he becomes Denic Pious Apparition. Legendary creature, spirit soldier, 3-2, with flying, and when one or more creatures are put into the graveyard from anywhere, investigate. This ability only triggers once each turn. And also the Disturb Exile Clause. So this one I'm kind of on the fence about. The only thing that makes me sad is
1: that once once each turn. Those seven words, I tell you, they, they just killed this creature. They really did. They took it from this great idea, this great awesome creature, especially on the Disturb side. I mean, don't get me wrong. The front face uh, creature cards in graveyards can't be the target of spells or abilities. That will protect the stuff that you have
0: in your graveyard, so that you can disturb it. But well, not only that, because it's it's not
1: only your graveyard; yeah. it's everybody's graveyard. So in, in this limited environment, it does make it so you're 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 causing problems for your opponents. Yeah. If they're running a graveyard deck, which odds are they're doing something with their graveyard. They won't be able to target it as easily. However, <laughs> the back face is where you really get to, to see some payoff, and that this ability triggers only once each turn. Denic had a lot of a lot of potential, especially the backside—the ability to investigate, create treasure tokens, or not treasure tokens. Uh, create artifact clue tokens and everything and what you could do with those, and just the ability, honestly, to get some card draw off of it, was really good, and then it can only happen once each turn. And that just killed the ability so much to where you are are getting one clue a turn. Now, I am sure that R&D at Wizards had their reasons, and they said, you know... This this is why you can only do it once each turn, otherwise it's going to get way too out of control and you're going to have way too many Clue tokens. But at the same time, I mean, we, we've we seen Clue tokens. The only time I've seen Clue tokens really get out of control, well, you had your Lunas deck, which is Modern Horizons 2, by the way, not legal and standard, and Academy Manufacturer, which is also... From Modern Horizons 2, not legal and standard. <laughs> all right. oh, oh, yeah. and it, c- All right, so
0: Academy and academy Manufacturer, um, if you would create a food, clue, or treasure token, instead you create one of each. So if you would create one token, you create
1: all well, three of them.
0: So that would break... So that would get a little out of hand with him. Personally, me, I seriously want to just take the Sharpie of Redaction... And just cross out those seven <laughs> those seven words. You know, yeah, I, and because if you just redact those seven words, yeah, he becomes an awesome commander that you would actually have fun playing or around. Not I even would just have a no,
1: commander. You know, when you think about running an Esper deck in in limited or even an Esper deck in standard, where the the sacrifice theme from the white black color combination in in Midnight Hunt. Paired with Denic, even if he's like your only blue creature in there, all of a sudden now you have a way to draw some cards. You're going to get multiple Clue tokens, and let's be honest, it's not like Clue tokens are efficient card draw. You know, let let's be honest here. You have to you, dump two mana exactly into it. to get one card, unless you have <laughs> so,
0: unless you have like um, you know something that reduces the cost of activated abilities,
1: which doesn't exist in this set or exactly. anything in Standard. So. I, I think it it had so much potential but that one one sentence it just it, killed it, this card. It, it, it's not good but it's not bad.
0: It, but it, it's, it's closer to bad than it is good. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. How about this? It's not great, but it's bad. Uh, yeah, uh, like I said, if it wasn't for those last Exactly. But, those seven world, words kill so many cards. They really do. They really do. Personally, I want to redact every single card that says, this what is it? This ability triggers only once each turn. Yeah. yeah. Nope. Nope. That's- Again,
1: I, I know they're trying to make cards that aren't broken, and I'm sure R&D has, has tested this, and there's a reason that they didn't want it to trigger off of every creature being put into the graveyard. But we also know it does say one or more. So you have to pay attention and plan how you're going to put your creatures in the graveyard. Because if you do a board wipe, well then, that's it. You get one instance, you get one clue token off of five, six, seven creatures getting thrown in the graveyard. You still only get one clue token. So you have to really pay attention to how you kill off creatures if you want multiple clue tokens but we digress. That's, that's a different story. Anyway, those are the featured cards we'd like to discuss from this, that, that feature this particular mechanic. Let's talk about the dominant colors at this point. So, as you can kind of guess from
0: the cards that we chose, this is mostly in white and blue. Um, the color breakdown is four in white, five in blue, one in black, 0 in green, 0 in red, 2 in multi, both of them are white blue. Yep. And 0 in
1: artifacts. Um in fact, the one the one black card even <laughs> even Mark Rosewater came out and he was like, I don't know where it came from, <laughs> but it fit. So all right, that's we have one black card with disturbed. So, whatever. <laughs> we at this time have no real featured decks that that highlight the disturbed mechanic, kind of as you've heard us allude to it already. Now, don't get me wrong, Limited has a deck that you can draft or pull from a sealed, you know, sealed event if you get lucky. And at that point, the disturbed mechanic has shown some promise, especially with cards like Disturbed Graph Keeper, or sorry, not Disturbed Graph Keeper, what is it? Devoted Graph Keeper. Malevolent Hermit, Chaplain of Alms. All right? If you can pick up some of those, you're in great shape. But unless you're able to get a majority of those, the, the Disturb mechanic is very hit and miss. All right, So you, you got to be careful. A couple of the cards have made it into standard decks, but outside of standard and limited, you're not going to see Disturb show up, and it hasn't made any splash on the metagame.
0: So we've discussed it a little bit, giving you a little giving you a big picture of what it is now let's discuss when you're playing with the ability and when you're playing against it. So when you're using the ability and when someone else is using it so let's start with playing with it joe how do we want to tackle
1: that one you want to find a way to get your creatures into the graveyard Many, many of the creatures the disturbed side the back face is better than the front face One of the few exceptions being Malevolent Hermit. You you really do want that front face as much as possible. But you can only cast the back side of the card from the graveyard. So you have to find a way to get your creatures into the graveyard. Which, let's be be honest, in the Azorius color pair, can be a little difficult. It's, It's not easy to get them in there. Not that it can't be done, but it's certainly not the easiest of color pairs to make that happen. All right. uh, you want to use blink effects to your advantage. Now when we say blink effect, this means you're going to target a creature, exile it, and return it to the battlefield. This is a great way to get your disturbed creatures back, if you really do want to disturb them again. Whenever you blink a disturbed creature, because of the way the game works, you will exile the creature on its back face, assuming its you know back face up on the battlefield, and then it will re-enter on its front face, which is really nice, again, if that's what you're looking for. Again, Malevolent Hermit is a great example. You can pay the cost, use Malevolent Hermit's ability, disturb it back onto the battlefield, blink it so that it comes back. Once it exiles and comes back, it's face up again as Malevolent Hermit. So it's a way to keep your creatures from getting exiled. You do need to keep your land count in this deck a little higher. now. Full disclosure here, I haven't gotten a chance to really play with the disturb idea, alright? I've, I've seen it sort of in practice, and I've experimented with the deck myself, but I've never gotten to really play it. But it seems to me that because the disturb cost is always higher, you need to make sure you have the, the amount of land that you could really make this happen. I mean, typically, you want anywhere from 22 to 24 lands, you may want to think 25, 26, or even maybe like 27, 28 instead for this particular deck because it is so mana hung- hungry, if you're planning to really emphasize the disturb idea.
0: And one thing that came to mind whenever I was thinking about like deck ideas for the disturb mechanic is feeding into the whole like self-mill idea so that you mm-hmm. can get them in to your graveyard. Yeah. Um by doing self mill you want to have more lands in it so that you That's can true. have so that you have a higher potential of drawing lands than you're putting into the graveyard exactly so you want to make sure that you have enough you want to up the land count if you're playing if you're playing self mill that way you can kind of get your engine going to start doing your disturb stuff which takes a lot of setup which now that I'm saying it out loud makes it maybe, understand why Disturb isn't going to really make that big of a
1: splash. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The final point we do want to make is that Disturb creatures are spirits with flying. And this is one of the things that they they did bring up when they were talking about the set. That is, you know, Mark Rosewater and his crew from uh, Wizards. The spirit idea, which is typically the white-blue color combination for Innistrad the spirit mechanic this time really is disturbed, all right, and spirits, all of the disturbed creatures, when they go to their disturbed side, have flying, so you can use that, excuse me, that that ed, ag, or that or uh, evasion a little bit to your advantage, so that, you know, you can at least, if the disturbed cost is absolutely worth it to you, you could get, for example, in Denic, Pious Apparition, you get a 3-2 flyer, you know, that came out of your graveyard, which has its benefits, you know, you didn't have to draw the card, it's just sitting there waiting for you, but regardless, it has flying, so you can be a little aggressive with that idea. What about if you're playing against a Disturbed deck, or even a deck that has Disturbed cards in it? So, if you're playing against disturb, just know
0: that disturb does take a little bit of effort and time to set up, so what you'll want to do is be aggressive. Um, the more life that you can take them take from them while they're trying to set up their their board state and everything to get their to get this ability going is gonna make short games mm-hmm. If you can if you have an aggressive deck, use it. you will definitely be a little bit better. Uh, disturbed creatures aren't overly strong. Even if you disturb the creature, even if they disturb the creatures onto the battlefield, they're usually spirit. They're all spirits, so they are all very,
1: sm- well, relatively weak. I think they... I mean, even if they're not overly strong in terms of, you know, even if they have a pretty good power, most of their toughness is... Are one. One or two. And they're, they're not overly tough either, so you can get through them pretty easily. Uh, another thing is, um, as much
0: as it pains me to say this, graveyard hate. If they don't have a graveyard, if if you get rid of their graveyard when it's full of disturbed creatures, they can only disturb at sorcery speed. And yeah. so you can definitely wipe out a vast majority of their their whole deck philosophy yeah basically thing. you can wipe out their entire deck philosophy in one go just by using a something to the effects of bajuka bog exiling the graveyard if you can if you can hate on their graveyard you will definitely disrupt their flow um one thing that you want to be mindful of is blinking creatures uses the stack save your removal spells for when you want to know what creatures to use it in response to. Um, so if they go to blink one of their creatures. That just goes to show you which one you want to remove. Yeah. Because that one show They're telegraphing which one they want to save. So as soon as they do that. As soon as they pass priority. You use your removal spell on that disturbed creature. And it goes away. And it's going to be exiled right because it's going to because if you burn it or you know if you were to kill it because of the disturb clause it'll hit the graveyard well it won't even hit the graveyard it'll it just, just go straight just to exile. exile so if you if your opponent is blinking their creatures that tells you that will telegraph to you which ones you want to hold up your removal for and you can just systematically take their engine apart
1: well and even then even if you don't know precisely what they want, you know what what the most important thing is, I mean, if you have a deck full of removal, as many of the times, you, know, you should have plenty of removal in your deck. If you just wait until they decide what they're going to blink, because I can't think of the top of my head any spell that really allows you to blink without targeting, or unless you're blinking your entire board. Yep. Right? In which case that's a different situation, and trying to, then you have to target, you know, exactly what you want, but it still goes on the stack, so you still get a chance to respond, and that's the important part to remember, you get the chance to, even if they do a mass blink spell, you get the choice to decide, well, yes, you can, you can go ahead and cast that mass blink spell, but I want to get rid of that card, and that card, and that card before you do, you know, and, and that's, and that's, that's your prerog- the stack that, works. That's how the stack works, exactly. So, always keep that in mind. Blinking uses the stack, so use it to your advantage as well. So, its uses in different
0: formats, as we have kind of alluded to throughout this entire episode. Malevolent Hermit, Devoted Graph Keeper, and and Chaplain of Alms may see uh, some play outside of Standard and Limited, but... Most of them won't. Uh, too many hoops, not enough payoff, too slow, too expensive costing-wise. Exactly. The ones that we picked are pretty much the ones that will probably see a lot of play, or at least a decent amount, just because of all the extra benefits. Because they're also relatively... All the ones that we chose, I saw, were somewhat decently costed. Like, Hermit Druid yeah. is a one drop, but he deserves for two. Yeah, stuff like that so the ones that are more fairly costed will see a little bit more play if there is benefit if there's a benefit to playing them um malevolent hermit definitely is gonna see play just because it can the
1: control. counter non non creature spell yeah that's, spell pierce yeah that it, that is, that will of course see play um but you're right most of them they're just they're too slow there's too many hoops and you don't get enough of a payoff to make it worth it in the long run. So. So for this, there is
0: no extended reading. Instead, we are going to test something that I have lovingly call that I'm going to lovingly call the uh, water cooler. So or scuttlebutt, we might figure something out. I'm going oh, with I like water. That cooler. idea, the scuttlebutt. Yeah, <laughs> scuttlebutt. All right. So all right. So looks like it's going to be scuttlebutt. But this one is very is. Is still related to the Disturbed Mechanic, but it's us discussing something that Mark Rosewater has said, and Joe, why don't you explain it?
1: So, in Mark Rosewater, if you don't know who he is, he's one of the main voices of Wizards of the Coast for the Magic, the Gathering Division. Isn't he, like, one of the, like, head creators of it? Not head He He's basically, like, the spokesperson. When they need to say something about magic the gathering they usually put it on mark rosewater gavin verhey those people to get it out to the public all right now rosewater did spend time in research and development and so he does have intimate knowledge of to the best of my understanding he does have intimate knowledge of how r&d goes about developing the game but in in, in recent years He's been going about answering questions, talking about what's happening. And he's, when, whenever a new set comes out in particular, people send him questions and he just sort of answers them to the best of his ability. And one of the questions had to do pointedly with Disturb. Disturb, many people have thought that the mana cost of the Disturb ability was just way too high. And I think most of us would honestly agree that, yeah, if you really want disturb to be a viable ability, yeah, it's, it's pretty high. And Rosewater comes back and encounters that you can't look at the ability in a vacuum. And he basically says that these cards are designed to get into play for their original mana cost, and then later in the game you have basically an extra card in your hand. You can always play it. It's always there, always available. Yes, it's going to be a little bit more expensive than what you might think, but it doesn't take up a slot in your hand, and you don't have to search for it. You know it's already in your graveyard. You know it's there. But he also brings up the idea that not every ability that we that, that is brought into the game is really meant to see... High-level play, and so our discussion that we wanted to talk about today is: it is that something that we think is healthy for the game. Now, initially, my my initial reaction to this was: what What in the world are you thinking, telling people this? Of of course, now if now that you've let this out of the bag, uh, it's it <laughs> it's just going to make me more. Frustrated in buying bulk of a Magic set in the future. After having think thought about it for a little bit, I do understand where he's coming from. I do get that you're right. Not you, you. You first want to balance the game for limited play, for that expansion. You want to make sure that expansion is set and ready to go. Especially because so many people like to do draft and sealed events that... If you can't balance the set, then it has no business being in with a standard, you know, standard play, modern play, pioneer play, things like that. So when you look at it from that point of view, I understand why Disturb, yes, it might be valuable in the limited play, but maybe not so much in standard, pioneer, modern, constructed, yeah, other constructed formats. But I guess Wizards has been on this big FIRE kick right now, and I don't remember what FIRE stands for. It's an acronym. But basically, they need to double their profits in five years. Otherwise, Hasbro is going to be ticked off at them. Anyway, if you come out and say something like that, that not every ability, not every mechanic is really meant for standard play, or tournament play, or high-level play, suddenly, I become much less enthusiastic about buying this product in bulk. It's no secret that a number of people have said, you know, really, if you want to invest in Magic the Gathering, don't buy in bulk. Buy singles. Buy the cards you want. But... This set, in particular, I I was really excited about it. I was so excited that this was my first time getting to really be a part of Magic when an Innistrad set was released. I always loved the werewolf mechanic. I thought it was really cool, really innovative, something that was completely unique, something completely different, and the werewolf mechanic with Daybound, Nightbound was finally making werewolves viable, something you could actually use. Draft... Examples have shown that that's not exactly the case. However, <laughs> I was still excited about it. But then to hear this, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but then to hear this, that not all of the mechanics are really designed for high-end play, and I get that. We don't want another repeat of Throne of Eldraine. Or Ikoria. Or Ikoria. You're right, we don't want repeats of those, because those were over the top, where they sort of started to take over entire formats. Right, Escape from Theros Beyond Death caused issues, the Adventure Mechanic caused issues, the Companion Mechanic caused issues. So I understand where they're coming from there. They don't want to completely shake up entire formats. But at the same time, when you tell me that... One of the premier mechanics from your set, from your new set, is not designed to be high-end level viable, or even standard viable. Suddenly, I hate to tell you this, Wizards, but I'm not exactly excited about buying your product in bulk anymore. I will then go buy the cards that I want, and I will wait for other people to open packs, and I'll pull the cards that I like. Whereas, and good for them, they didn't tell me this until after I had bought my box of Midnight Hunt. I bought a box on release day, or on pre-release day. I was all excited because I loved the set. I was so excited. And I didn't really understand, you know, the viability of Disturb in its full context at that point. I was so focused on the werewolves, you know. (laughs) But had I really sat down and thought about it, I should not have bought a box. I should have gone out, bought the werewolves that I wanted, bought the vampires that I wanted from the set, because that's what I was really excited about, left the rest of it off to the side. And so when you come out with something like this, it's, just, it's disappointing to me to know that they really, they really are devi- designing the set that way, and it makes me much less excited about buying a box of anything in the future. So, what are your thoughts, Chris? So, I can kind of
0: understand, you know, the whole, like, looking at it in a vacuum, mm-hmm. and kind of justifying the hi- the higher cost for most for most of them, because I think there's some of them that are, like, two or three, they cost two or three mm-hmm. mana value to play the first time, and then it's, like, five or something like that the yeah. next time. I can kind of see what they mean by, you know, like, play it later in the game. But... There are some decks that, at least you know, in standard, there are decks that are absolutely aggressive. There are decks there, that there is no later. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> there is, is no later
1: in the game. <laughs> if, if you
0: can get like there, are, I've played some games in the past where it's over very quickly. Like it's very rare. It, let's see what heck back you know when Drain and last rotations last standard rotation. Mm-hmm. Right, turn six, turn seven, the game could be over. Oh yeah. Like, Easily. If they have their deck if they have their deck tuned and they know how to pilot it, oh yeah, you will never see turn ten.
1: Well and the, the, the gruel color combination for the War of the Spark block. Uh, what was it? The Ravnica Allegiance block, or whatever it was called. Mm. That that set of three. I mean, the Gruul ag- aggro deck was just oppressive. And you easily could be out of the game and done moving on to game two by turn six. If they had the right cards. It it's, Riot was just taking over, you know. Granted, we're looking at two different sets of standard at this point, but I mean, the point is still valid. It's just not... You're not able to keep it around for very long.
0: In my opinion, I am more of a fan of static abilities. Like, static keywords. Mm -hmm. If, but for, like, flashback, unearth, any keywords that I have to pay for, those ones I'm hesitant on. Yeah, I agree. And And thinking back now with how we, you know, said that's how... This, like Disturb is for, you know, you played it early game for its original cost and then you can play it again later. Mm-hmm. There are some cards that, like, thinking back, all the flashback cards have higher flash. Most of them have higher flashback costs. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. So
0: I can understand, you know, that idea. But, of course, there's some of the ones that have really low-costing flashback, like uh, Lava Dart, I think yeah. it is, where it's you sack a mountain and you can flash it back. So, stuff like that. Like, there are a small number of, like, these of like these abilities that are very good, but most of them just go by the wayside just right. because of costing-wise. Whereas with, like, static abilities, daybound, nightbound,
1: yeah. stuff like that. Um, Which, don't get me wrong, daybound, nightbound have their own problems, and <laughs> I realize that they will not be really, like, modern or legacy or even pioneer viable, but they made a massive improvement, in my opinion, on the werewolf mechanic. So I still count them as a massive win for this particular block. So I'm curious
0: to see what they're going to be doing with, with uh, vampires. I'm hoping that Madness comes back. Oh, that would be so cool if Madness came back. <laughs> I don't think it will, but it would be really cool. I mean, we got a couple of, you know... Of the original Innistrad stuff mm-hmm. coming back. Like, the whole werewolf mechanic right. that got keyworded, but it's back. Yeah. Um, we got Investigate. Yeah. From the Shadows. Um, yeah. Let's see. what else, Like, there was a couple that we got back from, like, the original block. And vampires and madness just go yeah. almost hand in hand. So I'm really hoping madness comes back. But... Oh, <laughs> Disturb just... Disturb just disturbs me.
1: Yeah, and and it it wasn't until I heard Rosewater's statement on that, or I read Rosewater's statement, that, that that's what really started rubbing me the wrong way. Like, okay, I, I get it that, yes, you need to balance limited, and, and I'm okay with that. But when you're openly telling me that not everything is designed for standard, pioneer, modern and then you're still trying to increase profits there's a disconnect there you know if if you want to increase profits then you need to make your mechanics viable across multiple formats yeah. you know maybe not shaking up entire formats cuz don't get me wrong i don't think everything should come in and shake up modern modern horizons does that enough <laughs> it really does And especially after this summer, you know, Modern Horizons 2 went and shook up the entire modern format, all right? Let it. That's fine. No big deal. But I do think that if you're going to introduce a mechanic, it should be viable in standard, at the very least. You should be able to play it in standard outside of the limited format. But, again, that's just me.
0: All right. So Mm -hmm. that will conclude this first iteration of Scuttlebutt. I guess it's, it's time to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so, and we're toying around with this idea. We might just keep the, we might have this as a segment for a, a small segment and future episodes. Or if we decide on it, we might even make this, make Scuttlebutt into its own secondary episodes type deal thing.
1: Let us know your thoughts. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you what you think
0: about these ideas. So... Now we're going into cleanup. We have two questions, but pressed
1: for time. So which one do you want to do, Joe? Uh, actually, I think we can handle both of these on my end, at least. Um, <laughs> so the first question is, what is your pet card? Um, I, I don't, I don't really have a pet card that I want to put in every deck, if at all possible. Um, I, I guess I am a fan of basic lands as opposed to <laughs> non-basic lands, but <laughs> that, that's just me. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't really. Ha- I don't even put Soul Ring in every one of my Commander decks if I don't really need to. You know, that's just that's just me. Um, and do you give your decks a creative name or a generic name? And how do I come up with those creative names? Uh, I. I I don't have creative names. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I don't. My my Modern deck is a Bant Exalted deck because it's in Bant colors and it focuses on the Exalted mechanic. My. Uh, commander decks are all named off of the commander, and maybe what they're supposed to do So like a Verizal kicker deck. It's Verizal is the commander, kicker is the ability that on which it focuses. That's I, I don't do anything fancy like that. I'm very straightforward, easy to understand. What about you? All right, so I have like
0: three pet cards, okay? One of them is white. The other two are blue. Oh, okay. sorry, the other two are green. Okay. The first one, the white one is Reconnaissance. Just because I want to I yeah. want to play that and I want to absolutely break the whole mechanic. I've seen that in many of your decks, yeah. The second one is my Parallel Lives. Oh yeah. My Japanese Parallel Lives that I bought while I was living in Japan. Yes.
1: I yeah, you do try to play that as much as you can. Third but, one. Yeah. Is my but, hold on that one is not so much for the parallel lives, it's because you have a specific version that has a lot of meaning to you. Exactly. But again, I I understand because you're right, you do try to play that in as many decks as you can.
0: Yeah. And my third one is Bear Umbra. Do explain. So Bear Umbra is the one with totem armor and whatever right. it mm-hmm. either I think it's attacks or I think it yeah, whenever it attacks I get to untap all my land. Yeah. I was playing in Zendikar with Rise of the Eldrazi. Oh, okay. So that one just brings back memories of when I actually had, and I had to use my Bear Umbra. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that was also when Omnath, Locus, and Mana came out. Right. Right, right, right. And so I actually had an Omnath running Bear Umbra. Yeah. And so, and it was because of those two that I was actually able to cast hard cast an Emmercle. Oh wow! I I spent fifteen <laughs> mana on a fifteen fifteen flyer with annihilator six. For oh,
1: that is good.
0: So the reason why that that bear umbra is a pet card of mine is uh-huh. one because it has a fluffy bear and been listening to uh, um critical roll and trinket. Yeah. So. Home. So it has a bear on it. It's cute. Well, it has a guy riding a bear, so that's mm-hmm. even better. But it's also the memories associated with it. Yeah. And as for my deck names, some of them are generic. Like, if I haven't come up with a name for it, it'll be generic. Yeah. Like, my Galazath Voltron deck is... Galazath is at the head, and it's like a Voltron... Well, it's Voltron Spellslinger. Yeah. So it it's Commander and Rough Idea. Now... Back in the Ixalan block, I had a dinosaur tribal deck that was built all around the enrage mechanic, so the entire theme of that was I was playing dinosaurs and hurting them to
1: get payoff. And and by hurting them, he means dealing damage to them of his own decision. And so I came up with the name of Michael Vick's
0: Jurassic Park. It's it's bad, but it fits. It works. It conveys exactly
1: what it's doing. It's... Um, MTG under the hood in no way condones <laughs> the actions of Michael Vick. We just want to make that very clear. Anyway. <laughs> um, and then
0: my Arcades Commander deck. It is a Walls Tribal. But I call it my Sir Mixalot deck because I like big butts. There you go. It, there is a theme to the naming conventions that I have. Yeah. Um, a guy that I played with, played Commander with on Sunday he actually names all of his decks after the uncards after cards from like unsanctioned unglued unhinged yeah. unstable which is great by the way that's incredibly oh, clever like the one <laughs> the last game that we played he played a deck that was his ah, ha, hans run deck <laughs> so and it was absolutely brutal and i'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs playing allies tribal and Board wipe just completely reset me and I was just sitting there. Yeah. And yeah, so like I have, if I don't know the name of it, it's command, it's like colors or commander followed by its focus. What it does, yeah. But if I have, but if I'm actually sitting there, um, I actually have a new name for uh, my Sir Conrad deck. Sir Kanye. Sir Kanye, okay, explain. Just because the guy that played the Akhans run. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, he was like, I was like, yeah, it's like we were sitting down to, you know, to play and like everyone's pulling out their decks and it's like, and I pull out my Sir Conrad deck
1: and he was like, oh, you're playing Sir Kanye. Well, there you go. Now it does have a new name. Well, now it's Sir (laughs) Kanye. So I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish, but first of all, I'm going to take some of your life. Yes! Now. <laughs> yes! Oh, I need... Okay, al- that is good. I that need is ultra good. sleeves. I need <laughs> ultra sleeves now. Or at least custom sleeves. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I think that wraps up the questions from the listeners. I think our our listeners have gotten a great idea. If you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mtgunderthehood, and our Twitter handle is at mtgunderthehood. Thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And
0: I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned. Woohoo!